You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Good morning, church family. Very glad to be with you this morning. Glad you're joining us for our online service uh, as we get set to sit under the teaching of God's Word together. One of the things that makes progress and impact for the church pretty difficult uh, and also just decreases the amount of buy-in and investment from church members or potential church members uh, that is a, can be a very big problem for the church is a lack of trust for those who are in positions of authority in the church. I don't know if you've seen uh, the video on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's a documentary or not called American Gospel. It addresses quite a few issues with the, with the American church. One of those issues that it brings up is how many have been hurt by the church when, when leaders are not held rightly accountable. It brought up how some pastors bring up the scripture that tells people to touch not God's anointed and do his prophets no harm. And that's used in a way to keep members from, of the church from questioning the leaders of the church. Some would tell their members that the leaders got their vision directly from God, got their understanding directly from God, and so there's no need for members to, to question their leaders or seek to hold leaders accountable. This is obviously harmful to the individuals and to the church, and there must be accountability for church leaders if we are to function in the world the way God has designed the church, the household of God, to function. That, as I've said many times in this series, is what this book of 1 Timothy is all about, that we've been working our way through in this series. If that's you, maybe you've, you've experienced that before. Maybe you, you have questions about, well, what does it look like to, to hold leaders accountable in a godly way? If that's you, I'm very glad that you're here. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. In this passage, the Apostle Paul will give us instruction on how pastors, or sometimes referred to as elders or overseers, are to be viewed, how they're, be, how they're to be treated and held accountable in the way that is beneficial for pastors and for the church. The church needs to know how to appropriately view and see and respond to its leadership. How do we properly acknowledge the position that a pastor has, while at the same time being able to hold pastors accountable for their actions as well. I'm excited about this passage for that very reason, and we'll get into three very specific practices that each church should embrace so that pastors can both be properly acknowledged for the position that they're in and at the same time be held accountable. But before I get into those three practices, first I want to make sure that I do something because I know that this is a difficult topic for some of us that this will be difficult to work through. Issues of authority, as have been brought up multiple times in the book of 1 Timothy, are oftentimes difficult for us to, to listen to and for us to embrace as well. So I want to make sure, and I know I've said this before in this series, and I feel the need to say it again, we need to make sure we have a deep understanding of the fact that God loves his church. Christ, Jesus, loves his church the reason he gives these offices to the church is because he loves and cares for his church. These are not bad things, but people in, this office, in these offices with, with this authority within the church, 
It is ordained by God because he cared about his church. He cares about his church. I mean, consider everything that he has done for his church. Ever since mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise and he had a plan to, to redeem and reconcile his people back to himself. So God the Father sends his son, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to rescue his people, to rescue his church by sending his son to take the penalty for our sin, die in our place that we might be saved, that we might be able to know him and experience eternal life in him and be able to go through this life enjoying the presence and the goodness of our God, knowing that our future and our eternal hope is secure in Christ as well. That his sacrifice and his resurrection benefits us in this life and in the next. He loves his church. And even as we live now in between his first coming and his return, we must keep this in our minds. And as we think about the structure that he has ordained for the church, the leadership structure that he has ordained for the church, we must keep in mind how much he loves his church. We must also keep in mind that any type of organization, any type of any, any family, any team, any, any group of people if we were to move and step with one another, we require, we need leadership. We need someone that's giving us direction and giving us a plan to follow. And at the same time, any group that has leadership needs to be able to hold that leadership accountable. Otherwise, those that are being led are in grave danger. So let's look at verse 17 and look at these specific instructions. And again, I'll pull out three specific points that every church should embrace involving its leadership. Let's read verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I'll read that again. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The first point I want to bring up is that we should consider good pastors as worthy of double honor. We should consider good pastors as worthy of double honor. Now, just to give a quick disclaimer, obviously, uh, this point specifically de deals directly with, with my relationship as the current only pastor at Midtown Two Notch with you, if you're a member of our church. I want to start off by speaking generally about this and then come around to the end to kind of drive this point home for how we might practically try to apply this to our church. So first, I'll start off trying to speak pretty gener generally uh, about the church. And then we'll circle back around to this point at the end. So here, Paul instructs us to consider elders slash pastors as considered or, or consider them as worthy of double honor. But he gives two very specific qualifiers for that. The first qualifier is that we ought to consider pastors in this way that rule well, Paul says, that rule well, I want to talk about the word rule for a minute, and I know for some of us, because uh, we have some, some amount of issues with authority, might find this word difficult, so I want to explain it just a little bit. The Greek word there that's translated rule means to be set before, it means to rule over, it means to preside over. Paul is saying those who use that authority well are to be, are to be considered worthy of double honor. The book of 1 Timothy has a lot to say about authority. And that has made this, I believe, a pretty challenging book for some of us, because if we're being honest, we just don't like authority. 
We often see anyone or anything that is keeping us from doing whatever we want to do in the moment as someone that is against us. This is why some of us are often very frustrated with God. God is sovereign. God makes rules. He, He has expectations for us that he expects us to follow. And to be honest, that makes God difficult for us oftentimes because we want to do what we desire to do. And oftentimes what he desires for us to do, we don't agree with or we don't understand. Many Christians don't follow the leadership and authority of the church because deep down we really don't like authority. But we often say that we don't like to submit to the authority of the church because we say, well, the church isn't doing this right or isn't doing this correctly or, or because the church basically isn't doing everything perfectly, then I, I can't trust the church enough to follow it. So that's why I don't submit to leadership in a church. But the truth of the matter for all of us, myself included, is that we do have someone who is perfectly righteous, who has never wronged anyone that is in authority over our lives, and we don't submit to him perfectly either. So the truth of the matter is we just have issues with authority. We oftentimes don't like to be led in a direction that we don't desire to go. But we see as we study the Bible, that authority, good authority is good. And that's what Paul is, is, is talking about here. Those who lead well, those who rule well should be considered worthy of double honor. We must have a, a strong category. If we're going to be the people of God, as God has called us to be, as he has designed us to be, we must have a strong category of good leadership that's not perfect. Paul doesn't say that those who, who rule perfectly, but those who rule well should be considered worthy of double honor. To push this a little bit further, part of the reason that some of us have issues with authority in general and specifically with the church is because we've been hurt by those in authority over us before. For some of us, that's occurred in our families, in our homes. For some of us, that's occurred in our churches. For some of us, that has occurred in our communities. I know myself as a pastor who isn't perfect, I have done wrong and sinned against members in our, in our church, in our fellowship before, in ways that I've had to go and apologize for on a number of occasions. None of us are perfect. I, know, I realize those things are hopeful, hurtful, and many of us have experienced hurt at the hand of those that we trusted and those who were in leadership positions, and thus it makes following leaders difficult. For many of us, Because of our experience, we generally have trouble giving authority figures the benefit of the doubt. We kind of start at a place from as as far as our perception of leadership is, I might trust you if you prove yourself worthy of my trust over time. But some of us are at the opposite end of that spectrum. Some, even followers of Jesus, some of us put certain leaders on a pedestal and we believe whatever this leader has to say or believe whatever the pastor has to say and never question it or never think critically at all. And for some of us, it goes to the point where we don't even study the word of God for ourselves and all of the Bible understanding that we have is coming from a person that's trying to interpret the word of God and not going directly to God himself. So we have some on both ends of the spectrum. One of the things I love about this passage is that it keeps us from erring on either side of the spectrum. It keeps us from erring too far, I should say. And Paul says that elders who rule well should be considered worthy of double honor. Again, not rule perfectly, but well. So the question that we must ask, is the pastor leading well? And if so, he should be considered worthy of double honor. 
So that was the first qualifier for being worthy of double honor. Is he leading well? Then for the second qualifier of those worthy of double honor, he goes on to say, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It's especially for those who, who labor in preaching and teaching. The Greek word there for labor has a definition of to grow weary, tired, exhausted, with toil or burdens or grief. To labor with wearisome effort in preaching and teaching specifically. And there is something about the role of those that labor in this specific aspect of ministry that makes Paul and the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write this, to to single it out and say that those who labor and toil in that specific ministry are especially worthy of double honor. So if a pastor is doing a good job leading in the church and using the authority he is given by God to lead the church in good and healthy ways, he should be considered worthy of double honor, especially if he labors and toils and consistently gives himself repeatedly to the ministry of preaching and teaching. And then Paul gives two specific ways that pastors and elders should be honored. And we see them in verse 18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Real quick, Paul in this verse is quoting two other scriptures that make the point that pastors who do a good job of the church should get paid for, what, for the ministry that they serve to the church. The scripture about not muzzling the ox is an agricultural reference where at that time, oxes were used to spread out grain in the fields. And if you didn't want the ox to eat any of the grain, you would put a muzzle on the ox. Well, what the scripture is saying is that don't, don't muzzle the ox because one of the benefits of not muzzling the ox is the ox will be able to remain strong because the ox is able to eat. And ultimately, that's better for the ox and it is better for the field as well as the ox will be able to do more work. His point is that taking care of the pastor financially helps the pastor do a good job, which ultimately helps the church. I'm not saying the pastor has, has to be wealthy, but Church, you don't want your pastor to be at, a, be at a position where they're constantly worrying about how they're going to make ends meet and pay for the needs of themselves and f- especially for their family as well. The second scripture that he quotes is a pretty self-explanatory. He's saying that pastors who do this full time deserve to get paid when he says the laborer deserves his wages. Now, there are a lot of people that don't trust, don't trust the church or pastors, and they don't believe in giving financially to the church because of that. And here the Bible is just clearly saying it as clearly as, as can be said, as far as I understand, that it is good for the pastor to be able to be freed up to lead well as those whom he is leading and pastoring help cover the cost or cover the cost of his living expenses. And in case you're not sold on that, the word honor that was in the previous verse when it says that, that elders are worthy of double honor if they lead well, that word honor is actually often used as a financial term. Think honorarium. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, that same Greek word is interpreted as price. Literally, he could be saying the the pastor who leads well in these ways is to be considered worthy of double value or double price or pay. Again, God loves his church, and through the apostle Paul here, he is showing us that giving generously so that pastors can be provided for is a godly thing to do. So that's the first way he points out that pastors are to be honored. Here's the second way. And it involves holding pastors accountable and the way that pastors are held accountable. Let's look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. He's saying there is a way to hold pastors who are leading well accountable that honors the pastor. He's going to get to what to do when a pastor isn't leading well in the next couple of verses. But here in verse 19, he's saying that if someone has earned the trust to become a pastor, don't admit a charge against them unless there is evidence of at least two witnesses. Now, why is that? Why might that be beneficial? You know, I know of pastors that hear accusations from members so much that it's actually a hindrance from them leading the church. I'm connected in a a Facebook group that is for preachers and and pastors, and I hear about it multiple times, as well as people that I've talked to uh, about this in person. That there's complaints about this, complaints about that, or accusations about this or that, and they spend so much time fielding those those disagreements, maybe those accusations, that it hinders their ability to go do things like develop leaders within the church. Like, sp- like spend time praying for members of the church or, or spend time preparing to be able to preach and teach to the church because there's, there's so many uh, people who have disagreements with the pastor and feel like they need to bring that up or feel like they have an accusation against the pastor, which oftentimes, sometimes is actually legitimate and valid and needs to be brought to the pastor. And sometimes it's more a difference of opinion or more of a, just a disagreement or maybe even a misunderstanding of what actually has happened. So it seems clear to me that this instruction is given to make sure that if there's an accusation brought against a pastor, to make sure it's confirmed by at least two witnesses, not because accusations shouldn't be brought forward about pastors to, to, help, to help give us accountability for the things that we are doing, but to, to ensure that what is brought forward as an accusation against a pastor is not hindering the work and the ministry that God has given to the pastor and to the church. So the first point on how to handle the relationship between pastors and members by honoring pastors who are leading well is honoring them financially and also by only admitting a charge and slash accusation if there is evidence by at least two witnesses. Hear me on this. Both of these allow pastors to lead in the most effective way possible. Making sure a pastor isn't worried every day about how he's going to provide for himself and his family and making sure a pastor isn't overly burdened by by charges or disagreements coming from one individual member that just has a disagreement with a pastor allows the pastor to lead the church in the most effective of ways. This call, this, 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 this charge for how we are to handle this is an aspect of God's love for the church. And that's what we must understand about all of these points. These are flowing out of God's love for his church. Remember, he loves his church. And he is for the church having good and strong leadership because if the church doesn't have strong leadership that continues to point our hearts and our minds to God and to his word, then the church will suffer a lack of unity because we won't be reminded of exactly what it is that unites us. If the church doesn't have strong leadership, the church will suffer from spiritual apathy because we'll spend so much time caring about temporary things of this world that our hearts will grow cold and numb towards God and the things of God. We need strong leadership within the church so that those outside the church won't suffer from not being able to to benefit from the ministry of members of a church that are able to link arms together and go serve our community and serve the world as God has called us to. But at the same time, if the church doesn't have that strong accountability for those pastors that aren't leading well, then the church is is in great danger, which 
leads us to our second point, which is publicly rebuke pastors who persist in sin. Publicly rebuke pastors who persist in sin. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. If the church doesn't have strong accountability for its leaders, the church will suffer because they won't have a way of protecting its members from the damage that can be done from a leader who is specifically hypocritical one who is calling the congregation to live in one specific way, but not embracing that same lifestyle. If the church doesn't have strong accountability for leaders, the church will suffer because those who are weak in their faith will be deceived into believing that Christ doesn't really care how they behave or doesn't really care about them living a life of repentance because those who stand and communicate on behalf of God aren't living that lifestyle. Thus, we need that type of accountability. If pastors who are leading the church don't have strong accountability, then those outside the church will suffer as well. Because in their minds, they will be able to very easily discredit the church by pointing to hypocritical pastors and hypocritical leaders and saying, see, the church isn't actually who the church says they are. It is important that any pastor that is not living a lifestyle of repentance, any pastor that is living in persistent sin is rebuked And according to this passage, is rebuked publicly. That it needs to happen in the presence of all. He says before God, before man, before Jesus, before angels. And he says, don't be partial when you do it. He's saying, don't don't have prejudice when you do it. He's saying, hey, don't let it slide if it's a pastor that's a friend of yours. He's saying, hey, don't let it slide if just because it's a pastor that you like. No, listen, Paul is being very confrontational right here. He's saying, hey, don't be partial when you do this. If there is a pastor, if there is an elder that is not living a lifestyle of repentance, someone who is persisting in sin, they need to be called out and rebuked publicly. He says, so that the rest may stand in fear. The hope is that as the congregation sees this, It will help give the members of the church a healthy fear of persisting in sin. That as the church does this and rebukes any elder that needs to be rebuked publicly, that that we will be reminded of how God hates sin and how he takes it very seriously. Pastors must lead the way in fighting sin and living a life of repentance. And I believe this is at least part of why he tells Timothy what he says to him in verses 22 and 23. I'll pick up halfway through verse 22. He says, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Remember, this is written to Timothy, a young pastor. Verse 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So I believe he's telling Timothy right here, potentially among other things, hey, it's okay for you to drink a little bit of, a little bit of wine. Keep yourself pure. Obviously, don't, don't overdo it to a point of debauchery and drunkenness, but it's okay for you to have that for, for your stomach and whatever health problems Timothy was having at that time. But he's telling Timothy, keep yourself pure pure. This is important for Timothy as a pastor. So again, when a pastor is leading well, he's worthy of double honor, but when he is not, when he is not, when he is living in in persistent sin, he should receive a stronger and a weightier rebuke than others, as his rebuke should be public. And just to be as specific as I can be about 
our church in relation to this call here in this passage, uh, so long as I am the only pastor of our church, my, my primary pastoral accountability is to the other pastors of the, of, a, of the other churches, excuse me, within our family of churches. So if there are two or more that are witnesses to me persisting in sin and you tell me and I disagree with you and you believe that it needs to go to someone that I submit myself to, you can go to the other lead pastors of our family of churches and let them know your concern. More specifically, you can tell Adam Gibson and Alan Tipping at our downtown church or Michael Bailey and Brandon Clements at our Lexington church. And you can rest assured that because they love the church and because they love you, that any charge like this will be taken very seriously. And they will look deeply into it and seek to take appropriate steps because they love God and because they love his church and because they know that God loves his church as well. And if you're not sure how to contact them, you can talk to your life group leaders or your coaches, and I'm sure they'll be able to help you find their email addresses online. So we had consider good pastors as worthy of double honor, publicly rebuke pastors who persist in sin, and thirdly, don't be too fast to ordain someone as a pastor. Don't be too fast to ordain someone as a pastor. Let's look at the beginning of verse 22. The Apostle Paul writes, do not be hasty in laying on of hands. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands. At that time, the way that they would ordain pastors is that they would have other leaders, likely other, other apostles or elders or pastors, lay their hands on whoever is, is a candidate or whoever they are currently ordaining to be a pastor as a way of commissioning, as a way of affirming, as a way of standing with whoever they are Ordaining. So he says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. He's saying, hey, don't be too fast to ordain someone as a pastor. God cares about his church. He loves his church. He is not okay with people being put into this role hastily without proper consideration and discernment and caution. It is a protection to the church to slow play someone becoming a, a pastor, to slow play that process a little bit. Now, we don't want to waste time. If someone is ready to become a pastor, we need to ordain them, but we want to make sure that we're doing what we can to prevent someone from becoming a pastor that does not need to be right now. And then in verses 24 and 25, Paul gives reason for why we shouldn't be in too much of a rush to ordain someone as a pastor. Let's look at 24 and 25. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later. So that word conspicuous means something that is easily seen. Verse 25, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Paul says that there are some people's sins that are able to see initially, but there are also some people's sins that are not very easy to see initially, but will be revealed later. And he's saying some people's good works are easy to see initially, but there are also some good works that aren't easy to see initially, but they will be able to see later. It's as if he is saying, Timothy, don't be too quick to ordain new elders because you need some time to see if there are some sins that they might be hiding from you. Timothy, some people are good at hiding their sin, and you need to take your time to try to make sure you're doing your due diligence to make sure that this person is above reproach and accusation that would discredit the ministry of the gospel in and through your church. Timothy, you can't just go ordaining somebody because they're gifted. You can't just go ordaining someone because they can speak well in front of a group of people. 
You can't just go ordaining someone because this is the type of person that people seem to like to follow. No, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. You can't just go ordaining someone because you just see so much potential in them because some people are actually hiding their sin. There's a word in that for some of us, isn't there? That some of us are very good at hiding our sin, whether you aspire to be a pastor or not. Are you in the habit of trying to get people to see you as more mature than you actually are? Do you hide your real weaknesses so that people will think well of you or think more highly of you? Paul is aware that this happens in the church. You've seen it before. I've seen it before. We are very aware of this. And Paul is saying we must take this into account when we're considering someone becoming a pastor. We must not be hasty in the laying on of hands. So for us, before I be, first of all, before I even became a pastor, I was in the pastor and training process at our downtown church before planning Midtown Two Not. I was a pastor in training for three years because they didn't want to be hasty. And during our pastor and training process here in Midtown Two Not, should anyone become well be a candidate for that process in the near future, if you ever have a reason. For anyone who's in consideration in our church for being a pastor, if you ever have a reason that you feel like there's a, there's a good accusation that could be brought against this person by them hiding their sin, you need to let me and church leadership know that. You need to make us aware of that. We don't want to be hasty in ordaining pastors. So when it comes to this, if there are legitimate reasons that someone should not be a pastor, do not sit quietly about this because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. We want to make sure that we aren't hasty with these decisions. We are the household of God. We are a holy people. This is a matter of helping to serve the church that Jesus gave his life for. This must be something that we care about because our God cares about it, and he cares about it deeply. To conclude my time, I know some of y'all hate it when a pastor says I'm, I'm closing because you know that means they still have 30 more minutes. But I'm, seriously, to conclude our time, I want to give specific requests as your pastor on ways that you can honor me. I don't usually do stuff like this, especially in a sermon, but I do believe that this is a practical application from this sermon. And generally speaking, I believe giving practical, practical applications in a sermon are, are very good and very helpful. So how might you consider me worthy of double honor? Especially since I do, from my perspective, labor in the ministry of preaching and teaching. And these applications only apply, again, if I am leading the church well. So if that's not the case, then other conversations need to be had probably with you and I, if that's what you believe. But I believe and hope and pray that I am leading our church faithfully. And again, I really do believe that I labor in the work of preaching and teaching, which is a great portion of my role with what we do on Sundays and in other aspects of the life of our church as well. So because of that, I like to give just two things that you can do that would really be honoring to me, that would really be honoring, specifically two things that I think we might not often think about. The first one is, if you have an issue with me, if you have an issue with a decision that I have made or a direction of the church, please, please, please come and talk to me about it. I would try to, to, to continue to be someone who is approachable as much as is, as is possible. I would try to listen and, and hear you out on that. I know that some people feel somewhat intimidated about coming to a pastor, even if there's a, if there's a disagreement. But I'm asking, please come and talk to me 
about it. There have been times when people have spread their view of an interaction with me that caused anger towards me and a lack of trust towards me, which is important because it actually affects the mission of our church as we seek to follow God together. Because in times like that, trust has been lost between me and that person, specifically that person feeling they can no longer trust me, which oftentimes leads to a lack of buy-in within the church, a lack of commitment to the church, and a lack of joining the church in what God is doing in and through us to make disciples here in Columbia. So I'm asking if there, if there is a problem, if there is anything that maybe, maybe it's causing you to, to trust me less, please come and talk to me. Please come and have a, a conversation. Some of the members of our lead team have heard me say this multiple times, but one of the things that I always say is if you have not heard both sides of the story, you have no idea what actually happened. If you have not heard both sides of the story, you have no idea what actually happened. And I say that to remind us that as we're seeking to lead our church and help, na- help navigate sometimes some difficult pastoral care issues, it's to remind us, hey, we, we need to make sure we talk to, if, if it's between two people, we need to talk to both people who are involved before we make any type of decision for how we need to move forward. Because oftentimes one person will be coming largely from one perspective and someone else will be coming from a different perspective. And we need both of those perspectives to understand what actually happened. And I'm going to try my best to continue to do that for you. If someone comes to me about an interaction that you had with them and a complaint about you specifically, I am going to try as much as I can to withhold any type of assumptions or any type of judgment until I've had conversation with you about what actually happened. And I ask that you would do the same for me. That will cause me to feel honored. And I truly believe it will help our church to continue to be the household of God and function as the household of God that God has designed us to be. So that's the first one. If you have an issue with anything, please come and talk directly to me. My second one is please encourage others to talk directly to me if they have an issue with me as well. Please encourage others to talk directly with me if they have an issue with me as well. If someone is venting or gossiping to you about me, especially if it is something that will cause you to lose trust in me as a pastor or lose trust in our church and in the processes of our church, please, 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 please ask them if they have talked to me about it. And if they have not, please gently and firmly urge them to talk to me about it. This is especially important in, in, in my, from my perspective, especially important in a group setting where it's brought up in the context of a group. And I'm not saying it can't be brought up in the context of a group, of a life group, and that type of thing. If there's things that are going on and people are trying to process through it, I actually don't have any problem uh, with that taking place. I think that needs to take place. And at the same time, I'm asking you, if it, if it comes to a point where, where there's some type of judgment on my, on my decision or my character or something that I have done being right or wrong, I am simply asking to allow, that you recommend to the group that I be allowed to share where I'm coming from, what my perspective is. And it's a good chance that it is something that I need to grow in and I need you guys to confront me on it. And I, I can't grow in that unless you come to me and talk to me specifically about it. And sometimes when this type of thing happens, it's really a, a misunderstanding. And through conversation with everyone involved, we can, come, we can begin to walk in unity going forward in this specific issue. And again, and this is important, and I hope you believe and trust me on this, that the primary reason that I'm concerned with this is because I want our church to function as the household of God, as God has called us to. And these two specific requests 
of mine, a request that I believe will help us to do that. I believe it will help us to walk in more unity, even if we leave conversation in disagreement with one another. This is being asked with a desire to see all of us doing our part to care for his church and his people whom he loves and whom he gave his life for. That is our goal now. May we continue to be united in that goal together. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us as your church. Father, I pray for your, your, your church globally, Father, that your church will be filled with leaders, with pastors, with, with elders, Father, that lead well, that rule well, that exercise the authority that you have delegated to them in a way that is beneficial for the church. Father, there, in, in anywhere, Father, there are pastors that should not be pastors, pastors that need to be rebuked publicly. Father, would you make that happen? Would you lead your church in that way? And Father, would you help myself and all pastors in your church to live a life that is above reproach, to live in a way where we do not persist in sin, to live in a way that we lead your people well as we seek you as the ultimate head of your church, as the chief shepherd of your church. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.